Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Stairway to Danger by John Blaine. Volume 7, Chapter 14, A Fine Night for Murder Rick opened his eyes and stared into the darkness. He turned his head and made out the outline of the upstairs room. Next to him, Scotty was stirring a little on his canvas cot. He looked at the window and saw a few stars in the sky, but it was still very dark out. The moon had set soon after sundown. He turned again, punched his pillow into a more comfortable position, and tried to go to sleep again. Tomorrow they would take the tractor store outdoors and really give it a try. That would be exciting. He still couldn't believe that a handful of words from a controller, plus the machine's own thoughts, would enable it to do things like taking out a tree or moving a big pile of earth. He tried to concentrate on the basic plan of the machine. Each action caused electrons to gather in a particular pattern on a series of specially made condensers in the thing's brain. Those condensers were the tractor source memory, but it wasn't a very long memory. Within an hour or so, the electrons leaked off the condenser plates. Suppose the machine received the order to go and went straight ahead and bumped into something it couldn't move. It would try several times. If it still failed, the electron pattern for that failure would take form on one of the condensers. So long as the pattern persisted, the machine wouldn't try that particular thing again. Allowing the electrons to leak off after a short time was deliberate. The scientists didn't want too many memory patterns to accumulate. Then the machine, instead of being guided by its memories, would just become confused. It was like teaching a baby, Rick thought. Are you awake? Scotty whispered. Rick started. He had been listening intently and hadn't realized it. Yes. What's the matter? Can't you sleep? Can't you? Scotty countered. I guess not, Rick answered. I feel like the night before Christmas. Too excited to sleep, I guess. No, Scotty said softly. It's not that. Something is happening. I can feel it. Rick's scalp prickled. Scotty had an uncanny way of sensing things. It had happened before. He thought it was a result of his service in the Marine Corps when night watches had taught him to be aware of every sound or movement. Whatever it was, Rick had a deep respect for the strange talent. He had never known Scotty to be wrong. He rubbed the bandage on his leg absently, ears straining to hear, and he thought he detected a deep, purring sound. Do you hear anything? Scotty moved swiftly from his bed to the window. Yeah, but I'm not sure what it is. Rick followed, but more slowly. His leg was a little stiff. It was itching. 
a sign that it was probably healing. He joined Scotty at the window, shivering a little in the cool from the breeze of the sea. Both boys listened intently, and Rick heard it again, clearer now. He whispered, So it wasn't excitement that woke me up. Scotty, that's a motorboat. Scotty was a dim figure at the window beside him. Rick saw him nod. Listen. It was too dark to see anything. It's right offshore, Scotty said, but the engine is just barely idling. What do you make of that? Rick didn't know, and he said as much. The engine noise ceased. For long moments, they crouched at the window, scarcely breathing. Once a car sped by on the highway, but that was the only sound. Rick listened tensely. The boat was still somewhere close by, probably floating in to shore on the slight swell. It had to mean something. People didn't keep engines idling this time of night just for fun. The boatman was trying hard not to make any noise. He couldn't think of any other reason. He wondered suddenly what time it was and looked at his watch. The luminous dial read 425. Dawn couldn't be too far away. Scotty gripped his arm, and Rick heard the noise at the same moment. Across the fence at the amusement park, something had grated on sand. It could only be a boat. A boat landing. At the amusement park? He shivered. Soapy, Strayed, or Lefty the Ganif? Maybe both? Who else would be entering the amusement park from the sea in the pre-dawn hours? But why? There was another long interval of silence, and then footsteps rustled in the grass from the direction of the road. Scotty put his ear close to Rick's ear. Someone is coming. Let's try the other window. They had been looking out toward the amusement park. Now they made their way carefully to the back of the building, to the window that faced the shore road. This time they kept their faces partially hidden, each peering out from beside the window. A dark form moved toward the project building on their side of the fence. He moved with caution, and every few moments he stopped to listen. Once starlight reflected from something metallic, and Rick knew the man carried a gun. A shiver ran down Rick's spine. Was Soapy Strayed coming to finish the job he had started on them? He realized that couldn't be the answer. Soapy would have no way of knowing whether or not they were staying the night. So far as he knew, the gang chief couldn't possibly know whether anyone was even in the building. But if the man searched, he would find them. Rick tried to peer through the darkness to identify the night prowler. Scotty had good eyes. Rick ducked under the window and moved to his side. In a barely audible whisper, he asked, What do you think? Is it Soapy or Lefty? I don't know, Scotty answered softly. Let's hope not. It's real nice and dark. A fine night for a murder, if that's what they're after. The dark figure reached the spot at the fence opposite the corner of the building. His face was a gray blur. Again, Rick strained to see details, but it was useless. It could be any one of the three who had ambushed Mike. 
Whoever the man was, he was connected somehow with the boat that had landed on the amusement park beach. That meant that he was one of Soapy's men, if not Soapy himself. But what was he after? The figure left the fence and moved to the building. The boys watched, hardly breathing. The man peered through the ground floor window, then moved on. The boys followed him as best they could, moving from window to window, silently going from room to room. The dark figure made a complete circuit of the building, stopping to look into every window. Then he returned to the first corner and felt for something against the wall. Rick wondered what he was searching for, and knew the answer a moment later. There was the gleam of a knife, then a dull sound as the man sawed through the telephone wires. The boys retired from the window for a hurried conference. What's he after? Rick breathed. Scotty's voice was hushed. If you want my guess, he's a guard. They don't know whether anybody is here or not and they're not taking any chances. But he cut the telephone wire, Scotty. We've got to get to the police somehow. He's probably one of Soapy Strade's men. That means Strade himself is in the amusement park. There's only one way to get help, Scotty said. And Rick knew what he meant. Unless they wanted to stay trapped in the building, they had to make a run for it. And that meant getting the guard somehow. They talked in low whispers, thinking up plans and then rejecting them as unworkable. I think I've got it, Scotty said. Good thing the back window is open, or it wouldn't work. Didn't I see some lead blocks under the bench downstairs? Rick tried to remember. He thought there had been a couple of lead bars. The scientists had used some for extra counterbalances on the bulldozer arms in order to lighten the load for the little electric motor that determined the angle of the blade. But had they used all of them? If there are any, they're under the bench next to the one where we worked, he said. Want me to go see? We're both going to go, Scotty whispered. If we make a noise and warn him, the chances are better if we're together. Come on. They moved to the stairway, then crowded against the wall. There was less chance of a stair tread creaking that way. Even so, one stair let out a groan, and Rick stiffened, sweat breaking out. They waited for a long moment, but there was no sound from outside. Scotty nudged him and then continued to the ground floor. Scotty put his lips to Rick's ears and whispered, Wait. Rick did so. Scotty could move better in the dark than he could. He saw his pal stepping through the litter on the floor, moving carefully, and then vanish under the right bench. Presently, Scotty returned. As cautiously as he had gone, he was carrying something in each hand. Again, he put his lips to Rick's ear. I got two. Now get this. You stay downstairs. As soon as I leave, count to a hundred slowly. Then go close to the window over there the one under the upstairs window where we've been watching. Make a noise, not a lot of noise. Just arouse his curiosity, but don't scare him or get him excited. I want him to look in the window. I'll do the rest. Rick squeezed Scotty's arm. He guessed what his friend was going to do. He gave him a little push. Scotty vanished into the darkness of the stairwell. Rick began to count. 
It was the longest hundred he had ever counted. As he neared the end, he picked his way slowly through the litter on the floor, skirted the silent tractor sore, and made his way to the window. Unless the guard had moved, he was directly on the other side of the wall. Rick finished his count, then scuffed his foot on the floor, forgetting he had no shoes on. He got a splinter for his trouble, but no sound. He groped around and found a block of wood. A metal case was standing nearby. Ready to duck, Rick drew the edge of the block across the metal. It was a small, rasping sound. He waited, set to duck behind the case, but no face appeared at the window. He tried again a little harder. The rasp set his teeth on edge. There was a faint sound from the other side of the wall. He did it once more and then froze as a white face looked in at the window. The man's mouth opened and Rick knew that he saw the white blur of the boy's face. Rick started to duck. Then there was a sound like a baseball smacking into a catcher's mitt. Scotty had dropped a lead weight. His face vanished and he heard something thud to the ground outside. Scotty came down the stairs with a rush. Got him! His voice was hushed. Come on! In bare feet they ran to the door, threw it open, and hurried around the corner of the building. The guard was lying in a crumpled heap. Take his legs, Scotty whispered. Rick did so, and Scotty slid his hands under the man's armpits. They rushed him back into the building. Got him dead center, Scotty said. First shot. They found wire and turned the man over and lashed his wrist behind his back. Scotty felt his pulse and found it beating threadily. He was alive, but he wouldn't take much interest in his surroundings for some time. Even in the faint light, they could see that he was a stranger. Now what? Rick asked. I'm going for help. There's got to be police cars somewhere around, or one will be coming by. Anyway, there are houses within a half mile. I'll get to one if I don't find the troopers, and I'll call for help. What do I do in the meantime? Rick asked. I'd be better off going with you. No, I've got a better idea. We have to assume Soapy Strait is here. But what we don't know is why. Or how long he's going to stay. I don't think anybody but Strait and his men would come at this time of night. When you get help, have the troopers notify the Coast Guard. Then if the boat takes off, we'll have some hope of picking him up. I'll mosey around and try to spot him. At least I'll be able to tell what direction he took. That's a good idea, Scotty agreed. But remember, your leg won't take much. Don't try anything stupid. I'd stay here and you could go for the police if it wasn't for that leg. Keep under cover. It's a good idea to get away from the building anyway. In case Strayed comes looking for his chum. wonder if Lefty is with him. They ran upstairs and got into their clothes. Then Scotty hurried off with another warning to keep under cover. Rick searched in the grass for a few moments and found the guard's gun. He thrust it into his belt. It might come in handy. A thought struck him. It might come in handy indeed. With the pistol, he could hold the gangster at bay if necessary, until help came. He didn't try to kid himself that he could win in a gunfight with Strayed but he knew that a shot or two from ambush 
would at least slow him up. There was only one way to find out if Soapy was in the park, and that was to take a look. No real danger in that, he assured himself. At least not very much, anyway. The gangster would feel secure, knowing that a guard had been posted under the project building, the only building around. Besides, Rick had the cover of darkness, and he knew how to use it. Chapter 15 Stairway to Danger There was one possibility Rick had overlooked, as he suddenly realized. If a guard came too, he might yell for help and tip Soapy strayed off that something was wrong. Rick went back into the building, found a piece of rope, took out his handkerchief and stuffed it into the guard's mouth. With the rope around his head and across his mouth, he wouldn't be able to spit out the gag. That done, Rick hesitated. Which way to go? He debated going over the fence. He could get to the top by rolling a trash can into place for a footrest, but that would mean jumping to the ground on the other side. His leg wouldn't take it without opening up again. That left the hinged board on the fence. He glanced at his watch. It seemed as though hours had passed since the boat had grounded on the sand, but the luminous hands told him that less than fifteen minutes had elapsed. He and Scotty had moved fast. There was no way of telling what Soapy wanted at the amusement park, or how long he would stay. He'd better get going. He went along the fence, ears attuned for any unexpected sound, eyes searching the darkness for movement. He rounded the corner of the fence and moved slowly toward the hinged board, more cautious than ever in case somebody should come through the fence unexpectedly. He reached the hinged board and then stiffened suddenly, as a strangled yell sounded from the direction of the parking lot. Scotty! But it couldn't be. The nearest houses were down the road in the other direction. Scotty wouldn't have gone in the direction from which he had heard the yell. Still, Rick bit his lip. He was worried now, worried about Scotty. If he could only be sure. For a moment he debated hurrying into the parking lot, and then realized there was nothing there that would give him any kind of cover. If Soapy or Lefty were over there, he would walk right into them. The yell hadn't sounded like Scotty, now that he thought about it. The voice had been deeper, of a different quality. That plus doubt that Scotty would have gone in that direction decided on his course of action. He slipped through the board opening into the amusement park. He knew his way around the park by now, thanks to his and Scotty's earlier visits. He cut across lots, moving fairly rapidly, but taking advantage of every bit of cover. He headed straight for the funhouse. That was the focus of all Strayed's activity. Whatever Soapy Strayed wanted would be there. He wondered about the man that they had slugged. He had expected to see Lefty, or the third man who had ambushed Mike Curtis. Probably the stranger was one of Soapy's old gang. Rick was sure he had never seen the man before. The closer he got to the funhouse, the slower he went. He circled to approach it from the rear, alert for any hint of light. If Soapy was inside, he would use either a lamp or a flashlight. Either would show through the window. As he got closer and saw no light, he began to wonder, was anybody in the place? 
He slipped the pistol from his belt and moved closer to the building, listening. There was no sound. He moved closer still, putting each foot down carefully, trying to avoid making any noise. He kept going until he was at the wall of the building, his ear against it. If anyone walked around inside or spoke, he would be able to hear them. But the only thing he heard was his own pulse. He thought it over. There was a possibility that Soapy had already come and gone. There was also a strong possibility that Soapy had something to do with the yell he had heard. If so, he might not have arrived as yet. The door was around the corner from the wall where he was listening. He moved to the corner and peered around. Nothing moved in the faint starlight. Rick debated swiftly. The better part of valor was wisdom, which called for a quick retreat into some strategic corner from which he could watch. But he was also curious. And very often, curiosity overcame his wisdom. He wanted to know why Soapy had returned to the amusement park. There was an obvious answer. The escaped gangster had returned to get something. He tiptoed to the door, opened it, and with pistol extended, stepped inside. Silence greeted him. He took a step forward and something scurried across the floor with a scratching of tiny claws. Only a rat, but his nerves made him jump involuntarily. Sweat started out in beads on his face. The rat could just as well have been Soapy. He realized now that entering the building was the height of foolishness. Better get out, and quick. He knew just where he could hide, behind a counter in one of the concession buildings. He would have a view, such as it was in the darkness, of the funhouse back door. That was all he needed. He pushed the door open, then stopped with one foot outside, cold sweat bathing him. There were low voices, and they were coming his way. There wasn't time to run for it. He did the only thing he could do. He stepped back inside, swung the door closed, then felt his way to the inner door that led to the former mirror chamber. Fortunately, he remembered the layout of the place. He avoided obstacles by feeling with each foot before he put it down. When he gained the shelter of the inner room, he was sweating profusely. He didn't know whose voices they were, but he had a very good idea. And one thing was certain. They weren't friendly. Friends would have come with lights. His mind raced. If he was correct in supposing that Soapy had come to get something, then he was in real danger. Captain Douglas and the troopers had searched the back room thoroughly. It wasn't likely that whatever Soapy wanted was there. It must be in the main room. Perhaps under the sliding stairs or under the floor. It might even be on the second floor. Already moving, he planned what he would do. He remembered the upstairs pretty well. He would go to the landing and wait. If Soapy got what he was after in the main room, well and good, he would have an audience of one. If the reason for Soapy's return was on the upper floor, Rick would go to the roof trap door. From there, he could climb down the roller coaster frame to the ground. It all depended on his not being seen. If he was seen... There was only one thing to do. He would have to shoot his way clear. He had to tuck the pistol into his belt now, because he needed both hands to feel his way. 
Even the big main room was pitch dark. As he entered it, he heard the voices in the room behind. He stepped and turned cautiously, feeling his way to the sliding stairs. Then he went up them, careful to keep close to the wall where the stairs were less likely to creak. He paused at the landing and tried to figure out the best place to hide. He settled on the little booth where the stair lever was located. He could stand up in there, be reasonably shielded, and he could watch what went on below. The palms of his hands were wet. He wet them on his trouser legs. He probably looked like a scared rabbit, he told himself. And that was how he felt. He was plenty scared. Lefty was bad enough, but it was the thought of Soapy that really made him shudder. The only way to be complete master of a crime ring, as Soapy had been, was to be tougher than the toughest gunzel in the mob. He couldn't kid himself. He was courting sudden death. Again, he called himself a fool for going inside that door. He shrank back without thinking as a faint beam of yellow light marked the dark floor below. Then he moved forward again and watched it. It grew larger and larger until the big room was filled with faint dancing shadows. Then the source of light emerged. It was a lantern, and holding it was Soapy Strayed. Rick held his breath. The next few moments would tell the story. Strayed came out of the mirror room, turned, and in a few strides was on the stairs. Rick turned to hurry out, and his belt caught at the stair lever. He grabbed for it, trying to free himself, and the tip of the lever thrust further through his belt. Strayed was on the stairs, starting up. Rick jerked free, and the lever moved. The gang leader let out a wild yell as the stairs slid out from underneath him. Rick moved like a streak toward the safety of the roof, struck the booth door frame with his arm and spun around, and his belt, loosened by a sudden jerk for freedom, released the pistol. It clattered to the floor, slid, and spun noisily down the slide. At that moment, Strayed struck the floor. The lantern flew from his hand and smashed against something. Darkness flooded in. Rick didn't waste time in lamenting the loss of his pistol. In two jumps, he was at the trap door, forcing it open. His back muscles tensed, waiting for the shock of a bullet. Compared with the blackness inside the funhouse, it was light outside. At least it was light enough to see shapes in the dirty gray frame of the coaster. Rick hurried across the roof to the first upright and searched for a way down. He knew he had only seconds. Soapy would be coming up the other stairs, murder on his mind. A quick survey failed to disclose an upright that led to the ground. Rick leaned over and looked down. A jump would break a leg from that height. He turned to look for another way down from the roof and realized there was none. There was no way at all to get down from the roof. He hadn't seen the significance of the roller coaster tracks on the funhouse roof. Now it suddenly dawned upon him. The roller coaster had been constructed so that the funhouse itself was part of the structure supporting the tracks at that point. He couldn't go down. He could only go up. Chapter 16 For Want of a Nickel When Scotty left Rick at the project building, he headed south. The nearest houses were in that direction, and he was apt to run into a police car there as anywhere. For a few moments, he worried about leaving Rick behind, but there had been no other choice. 
With that injured leg, his pal couldn't have run the distance, and speed was imperative. Soapy Strayed surely wouldn't be hanging around the amusement park for very long. He had to get into his boat and take off for his hiding place before daylight. Scotty jogged along at a ground-eating pace that made good time but still conserved his strength. He didn't move on to the highway itself until he was far enough away so his footsteps wouldn't be heard. He suddenly realized he hadn't even thought about the guard's gun. Rick would think about it, though. That made Scotty feel better. Rick was more at home with a rifle than a pistol, but he'd be able to take care of himself. He kept turning his head to look back, hoping to see the lights of a car. At any other time, he told himself, there would be at least an occasional car on the highway. But tonight, when he needed one desperately, no lights showed. He had never noticed the exact distance from the project buildings to the nearest houses, but he estimated it was a little over a half a mile. The houses were really nothing but shacks, mostly unpainted and ill-kept. They formed a small settlement for a handful of laborers who made a poor living with occasional work on the railroad, Rick had said. About half the distance had been covered when he thought he heard something, like a faint yell, from the direction of the amusement park. He stopped short, waiting for more sound, but there was none. Scotty began to worry. Had that been Rick? For a moment, he almost turned back and then realized he could do nothing against Strait's gun. The best way to help Rick would be to bring the police in a hurry. He started off again at a full run. He was in good condition, and he kept running until the first house loomed ahead. He ran up a flight of rickety stairs and hammered at the door. He paused for a moment, heard nothing, and then began hammering again. The door opened a crack. What you want? A man's voice demanded. Don't try nothing, cause I got a shotgun pointed smack at your belly. I'll need a phone, Scotty said breathlessly. Gotta call the police, please, let me use your phone. Ain't got none. Don't want no part of the police, neither. Get going and let me alone. Where, where can I find a phone? Scotty begged. There must be one around here somewhere. None of these houses got a phone. You're out of luck unless you get to a store about a mile down. They got one. Sometimes old man Yeager sleeps in the back. Scotty jumped from the porch and started running. Now that the man had reminded him, he recalled the store. It was a ramshackle place that dealt in staple groceries. It was plastered in chewing tobacco and snuff signs, as weathered as the building itself. He slowed his pace a little because he didn't want to wear himself out completely before the store was even in sight. He settled down to a long, loping pace that conserved energy but covered ground rapidly. What had happened to all the police cruisers that were supposed to be in the area? Then he realized he was being a little unreasonable. Only a short time had elapsed since leaving the project. A police car didn't go by every moment or two. It was a long road and there weren't that many cruisers. He tried to assure himself that it hadn't been Rick who yelled, but the distance had been too great to identify the voice. He had to admit it might have been Rick. He increased his stride a little. If only a car would come, any car. It was harder to breathe now. His chest hurt. He kept on running, knowing that in a short time he would get his second wind. He passed a clump of trees and realized 
He was almost at the store. It was just beyond. In a few moments, he saw it, a shabby, lonely place, several hundred feet from the nearest houses. He reached the low stoop that served as an entrance and looked in through a fly-specked glass panel in the door. There was no light inside, nor did he hear any sound. He hammered on the door, then kicked on it violently. The glass panel rattled, and he desisted for fear of breaking it. There had to be a back door. He hurried around the building and found it. There was no glass. He pounded it until his hand hurt. Old man Jaeger wasn't sleeping in the store tonight. That was for sure, unless he was stone deaf. Scotty ran back to the front, desperate now. He looked up and down the road, but there was no sign of car headlights. He made up his mind. There was only one thing he could do. This is where I become a criminal, he muttered to himself. A stone made a handy implement. He threw it and listened to the sound of shattering glass and then broke the jagged pieces from the bottom of the door panel and stepped inside. There were electric lights. He found a switch and turned them on, blinking in the sudden glare. The telephone was in the back of the store, and it was a payphone. He felt in his pockets, heart sinking. He knew what the answer would be. He had no change at all. The cash register stood on the counter. He jumped over the worn top and punched the note sale key. The drawer flew open, and it was empty. Frantically, he ransacked the drawers. He felt in the pocket of a greasy apron that hung from a nail. He looked in every possible place and a few unlikely ones. At last, he stood helpless. The phone was here, but without a nickel, it was no good to him at all. He had to do something, and quick. He had to get a nickel, or he had to find another phone. Either way, he had to get out of the store. He stepped through the broken door panel and looked around. The nearest houses were in sight. He started running again, praying he would find a reception with no shotgun. Somewhere down the road, a dog began to bark excitedly. Scotty stooped and found a rock, just in case, and then he hurried on again. These houses were no better than the ones further back. Would any of them have phones? He looked overhead at the phone wires and decided to follow them until he came to a house lead-in. That way, he was sure he'd find a phone. The fourth house had a lean-in. That was the house with the dog. Scotty listened to the wild yapping and decided the dog was chained behind the house. That was good. He went up the front steps in one leap and hammered on the door. The barking had already awakened the occupant or perhaps he was an early riser. He pulled back a curtain from the porch window and yelled, What do you want? Scotty yelled back, I need the police. Open up, mister, please. The man responded by raising the window. The police, you say? Yeah, I have to use your phone, mister. Honestly, I'm not a burglar or anything. I've got to call the state troopers. I haven't got a phone. Had it taken out. Don't know where you'll find one, the man said. Then if you got a nickel, the store has a phone, but I don't have any change. The store is closed, the man said suspiciously. I know, Scotty said desperately. I broke in, but it's a pay phone. I haven't got a nickel. Wait there. The window slammed shut. Scotty danced on one foot and then the other, burning with impatience. But he could do nothing to hurry the man along. 
Fortunately, he didn't take long. In a few moments, the barking of the dog grew near and the man's voice snapped. Shut up, Hortense! Keep still! He came around the corner, holding tightly to a leash. The other end of the leash was a big dog of uncertain ancestry. She was part collie, part hound, and to Scotty's nervous glance, part wolf. I don't know who or what you are, the man said shortly, but don't try anything. Hortense is pretty fast at her feet, and she'll get you if I say so. I won't try anything. I just want to get to the police. Have you got a nickel? Yeah, I got one, the man agreed. And I'm going to be right with you when you use it. Old man Yeager is a friend of mine. You better have a good reason for busting into his store. Come on, Scotty said impatiently. Honestly, this is urgent. He started off at a trot, man and dog behind. At the store, the man motioned to the broken glass in the door. Get inside. Scotty did so and waited. Hortense was handed through the broken panel, but the man kept hold of her leash. Hortense was not a pretty dog, and she looked at Scotty with the same hopeful expression with which she would have regarded a rare steak. The man came through the panel. He was about sixty, with a pleasant but weather-beaten face. He handed Scotty a nickel. Scotty almost choked with relief. He lifted the receiver and dropped the nickel. There was a clang, and the operator's voice answered sleepily. Scotty couldn't wait. Emergency! Get me the police barracks at Whiteside! State police! Hurry, please! The operator's voice was no longer sleepy. Yes, sir. There was a long ring on the line and a male voice answered. State police. Captain Douglas, Scotty said urgently. I gotta talk with him. He's asleep, the voice growled. What do you want? This is Don Scott, he said urgently. From Spindrift. You've got to call him. It's about Soapy Strayed. There was a gasp from the man with the dog. Hold the line. The receiver clattered on the police desk at Whiteside. Within ten seconds, Captain Douglas was barking into the phone. Talk, Scotty. Soapy Strayed is at the amusement park, Scotty said quickly. He put a guard on the project building. Rick and I slugged the guard and tied him up. How long ago? Scotty couldn't be sure. Maybe ten minutes? Maybe fifteen? Where's Rick? I don't know, Captain. I heard somebody yell when I was running down the road. If that was Rick, then... Quick, where are you? The Acre store is below the amusement park on the shore road. Stay there, Scotty. Didn't you see one of my cruisers? No, sir. There was one guard in the amusement park. Something's very wrong. Stay put. I'll have a car there in minutes. The connection was broken. Scotty turned to the man who had helped him. Thank you, sir. Police will be here in a few minutes. It's all right, boy. Soapy strain, you say? He was the guy who escaped a few days ago. That's the Joker. I'm staying right with you. And he added hastily. I believe your story all right, but I want to see what happens when the troopers try to get this guy. He's a killer from what I hear. Oh, he's that all right. Scotty's mind wasn't on the conversation. He was now worried sick about Rick. And he wondered, if a cruiser had been guarding the amusement park, where was it? He and Rick hadn't known about a cruiser. He walked to the door and saw that the eastern sky was growing pink. It was almost dawn, 
and from far down the road came the welcome sound of a police siren. Chapter 17 Trap in the Sky Rick went up. He had no choice. He leapt for a cross brace and pulled himself up onto it, just as Soapy strayed and burst through the door to the roof. Rick didn't even think about watching for handholds. Pushed by sudden fear, he went up the upright to the next brace as though jet-propelled. His skin crawled, expecting the shock of a bullet. The track was right above him. He swung himself up and then took time for a look down. Strayed was staring up at him. Rick saw the pale blur of his face. Come down, Strayed grated. Rick's voice shook slightly, but it was loud enough. He said politely, No, thank you. Don't make me come up after you, Strayed said. His voice was surprisingly calm. Don't make me kid. Rick didn't answer. Why didn't Strayed shoot? Then he thought he knew. A pistol shot would be very loud. Loud enough to be heard for some distance. There was every chance that someone would hear it and phone for the police. Strayed waited a moment until Rick inched upward. Then he walked to the edge of the roof, reached upward for a handhold, and came upward with amazing speed. Rick stifled a groan. In his terrified haste to climb to safety, he had completely forgotten that one upright had cleats nailed to it to make a ladder. He increased his speed as best he could. Climbing the track was much more difficult than working up the frame. His body was parallel to the track. Because of his steep angle, this was where the roller coaster had gained speed on its downward plunge, passing a short distance above the funhouse roof before dipping to the ground. He had to move on hands and knees, holding fast to every handhold. It was hard going because there were open spaces between the cross pieces that served as ties. His leg made it even worse. It constantly bumped as he moved, and it hurt. Soapy Strayed, however, was having equal trouble. He was perhaps twenty feet behind Rick, and when the boy looked back, he couldn't see that the gangster had gained after the first rush up the ladder. Rick reached a space where a tie was missing. He had to cross about four feet of open air, a foot sliding precariously on each track, his hands gripping the rails until his fingers hurt. The crossing made him conscious of his height above ground because he was beyond the funhouse roof now. He looked down and down, his eyes following an upright, and he had to grit his teeth to keep from getting dizzy. He turned his eyes away resolutely and kept going. One foot slipped, and for an awful moment he thought the other would be pulled from the track, but he kept his balance and inched ahead to comparative safety. The highest point in the track was only a dozen feet ahead. He took a quick look behind him and saw the gangster was still coming after him. The silence was more ominous than yells of rage and threat would have been. It was as though the gangster was telegraphing a mental message. Don't worry, kid. Keep climbing. I'll get you when I'm ready. Nothing you can do about it. Rick stood it as long as he could. Then he asked, just to hear his own voice, Where's Lefty? Stray's reply seemed cordial enough. 
I sent him to the road gate to keep an eye open for cops. How'd you know his name? So Lefty was with Strayed. There was no point in concealing the answer. Saw it on a police profile card, along with his picture. Strayed was silent for a moment, then he said pleasantly, So, you put the finger on Lefty for the cops, huh? For that, maybe I won't cut your throat before I push you off. Maybe I'll just stick you lightly a couple of times before I shove. Just enough so you won't hang on. Rick's mouth dried up and his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. He swallowed hard. When he tried to speak again, his voice wouldn't work properly. He had to clear his throat. No sticking me until you catch me. And you can't go any faster than I can. He was talking just to hear himself, and he knew it. He tried to speed up his slow progress, grabbing for handholds, trying to keep his feet from slipping. The ties were just too far apart to be used as long ladder rungs. Strayed was cheerful about it. He chuckled. That's right, kid. I can't go any faster than you, but I don't need to. I've been up here before. I know what's on the other side of the hump. Do you? Rick started to reply that he didn't, then changed his mind. He'd better save his breath. Strayed continued. I'll tell you. Seems that a short time before they closed the park, a coaster cart jumped the track. Ever hear about it? The gangster was trying to bluff. I didn't, Rick replied, because it never happened. I live around here. I would have read about it. Not this accident, Strait said. It wasn't in the papers, because it happened during the time when the coaster was being tested. Matter of fact, that's what really killed the park. The coaster was the big attraction, and the frame is so rotten it had to be replaced. There wasn't enough money to replace it. He fell silent, and Rick looked back. The gangster was making his way over the break in the ties. Once across the gap, Strayed continued. So the park closed, and the track where the car jumped was never fixed. It tore tracks loose, broke the ties. You can't tell from the ground, but there are eight feet of broken track that won't hold a man's weight. Rick had a horrible feeling that the gangster was telling the truth. He was almost at the top now, and he would soon know. He realized suddenly that he could see an end of broken track against the sky. He swiveled his head around to the east and saw that the sky was definitely lighter. Clouds near the horizon were taking on a pinkish look. It was almost dawn. He planned what he would do if Soapy had told the truth. If the track wouldn't hold him, the uprights would, and he would swing down and then slide for his life. Wasn't as easy as that, though. The track was slightly wider than the frame, and there was a little overhang. If he hung by his hands, he could wrap his legs around the upright. Then would come the bad moment when he had to let go and grab for a handhold on the heavy beam. During that moment, his legs would have to hold him. Normally, there'd be no problem, but with his injured leg, there were bad possibilities. The strain of gripping the upright would pop the wound open again, and if the pain were too great, he might lose coordination for a fatal second. One second or less would be enough. The ground was a long way below. His hands were damp as he inched his way to the very top of the coaster. It was level for a few feet, and he moved quickly. The sky was lighter now, 
light enough to see the gang leader had told him the exact truth. The ties were in place. So were the rails that supported the track. But the tracks themselves were lying slightly askew, and the ties and supports were held together only by rusty nails. He couldn't see the nails, but he could see the brakes at the places where the frame had been joined. He moved back quickly, intent on finding an upright down which he could go. And something ground into his hip. He shifted position and looked back. Soapy Strayed was closing in and he was smiling. As Rick watched, the gang chief reached into his pocket and pulled something out. There was a click as a spring blade knife popped open. The early light gleamed from a blade six inches long. <laughs>